Open up your Bibles to Genesis, Genesis chapter 35. We've only gone over the first eight verses so far, so we're going to go ahead and read from the beginning. <clears throat> we'll read Genesis 35, 1 through 15, as we look at the subject, God Almighty, bless thee. Genesis chapter 35, verse 1, And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments, and let us arise and go up to Bethel. And I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. Verse 4, And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand, and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak, which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. Verse 6, So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah... Rebecca's nursemaid, uh, our nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called Alan Bacchus. Verse 9, And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Padanaram and blessed him, and said, And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty, which is where we get our text. This is El Shaddai, the uh, other name that the Lord uses for himself with his people. I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee. And kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee, I will give it. And to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once more for the opportunity to continue this study. We ask, Father, with our Bibles opened, that our minds would be cleared, distractions removed, that we might come hungry and feeding off of your word, hungering and thirsting after your righteousness. We ask, Father, that you'd bless those who have sanctified this time. Bless them with encouragement, with edification, and with strength. Give us, Father, that which we need to carry on, to continue to carry the message forth. Be with those on our prayer request list. We think of uh, Sister Bree, who's not with us tonight. We think of some of the tests that are ongoing for some of our friends and family. And we just ask, Father, your mercy there. Be with all of us, Father, as we continue to uh, carry this torch, carry this burden, bearing our crosses, Father. And we ask again that you would continue to bless this study as you see fit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, with this uh, particular study, I don't know if we'll get through all of it tonight, but it will take us through the remainder of this chapter. Um, we see the continual theme in verses 9 through 15, which is what we're breaking down tonight, the continual theme of remembrance that we have seen throughout the first eight verses of this chapter, we continue to see now. Uh, 
God revisits with Jacob those promises made 30 or so years earlier at that same spot. Now, when we read verses 1 through 15 together like that, instead of just verse 9 through 15, we see how frequently it's written and in some places spoken. God says it, then Jacob says it to his people, and I think it said one more time that this is the place where Jacob was met by God the Father during his fleeing from his brother Esau. What a blessed reminder, not necessarily a reminder that Jacob is always in trouble. That's not the reminder that we're talking about, but that God is always present and that there is a place that Jacob knows of in which he not only dreamed of God, but was connected to God, was spoken to by God, was receiving of promises of God. And that was a place in which he was called to go out to again. Come out from the world, come back to the place we once felt sweet fellowship. God, in a sense, says, remember the promises. Remember what I promised to Abraham, what I promised to Isaac, what I have promised you. And he identifies himself as El Shaddai, God Almighty. And he reminds Jacob, as God Almighty, that he has been blessed, that he is significant, that he is important, and that he is never alone. This is a wonderful promise that he receives from God. God doesn't have to refer to himself as God Almighty. He could call himself God the Revenger. He could call himself God who's had enough of Jacob. He could call himself whatever he wants, but the title he refers to is God Almighty. And in the title of God Almighty, we could hear, uh-oh, Jacob's in trouble. This is God Almighty. All strength, all sovereignty, all might, literally in the word Almighty, belongs to him what will jacob do now he was worried about being outnumbered by the canaanites just a few verses earlier what's he going to do now but this god almighty reminds jacob of promises jacob himself seemingly has forgotten this is the same title god revealed to abram in genesis 17 verse 1 which says and when abram was 90 years old and nine the lord appeared to abram and said unto him i am the almighty god Walk before me, and be thou perfect. And we see evidence in Genesis 28, verses 1 through 4, that God gave this same title in the presence of Isaac. Because we read there in Genesis 28, starting in verse 1, And Isaac called Jacob, and blessed him, and charged him, and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the, of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. And God Almighty bless thee. This is the title that Isaac refers to God as, El Shaddai. And El Shaddai bless thee, and make thee fruitful, and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people, and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee, and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. This is the same promise renewed by El Shaddai himself to Jacob. So Isaac, though he didn't send a faithful servant to find the bride for his son Jacob, we see that his words were used by God, that this blessing that he pronounced on his son was indeed a holy blessing, a sovereign blessing, something that he was charged with to charge to the next lineage of the promised seed. And we see from God's own words that this same promise, almost word for word, is upon Jacob. 
This name for God is actually related to the Hebrew word breast, which is shad, S-H-A-D. And according to Henry Morris, it conveys the idea of God as the one who nourishes and provides, who is strong enough to meet every need. Jacob then did not return to a place where he had once seen God to be beaten up by God, but rather went to a place and was confirmed from God himself that God is one who nourishes who provides, that God is the strength. This is an interesting sequence of events because we can't allow ourselves to forget the previous couple of chapters. Dinah's defiled or raped. The sons of Jacob uh, insist that the Shechemites go and circumcise themselves, which was a trick. It was literally to get them to weaken themselves so that they could be overthrown by the sword, and they were. Then they took hostages of the wives and the children. We also see in what we just reread, I think it was verse 4, and they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods. Up to this point, we really only knew about the one Rachel had, did we not? But of those that Jacob talks to, we see plural, multiple idols turned over. Some of this could be from those who were taken captive, but it also could have been Leah, could have been uh, the, their handmaids that were now mothers of Jacob's children. Jacob's household, as we've illustrated, is it's a handful. And there's a lot of different things going on here that will be buried in this very chapter. Multiple gods handed over. Can you imagine the confusion now in that home? Can you imagine the, the misdirection and how easy it was for the devil to, to maybe tempt Dinah out, but definitely to tempt the boys to do what they did? We've got to be careful of what we've brought into our homes. The idea of lady luck and fortune seems so harmless on the surface, and it's a dangerous mentality that we encourage our children to embrace. Well, luck would have it. If we're lucky, raising a bunch of gamblers, are we? There's no such thing as luck. And there is definitely no reason for the Christian to invest in or embrace the concept of luck. We have something quite a bit better. We have El Shaddai. We have God Almighty, the God who nourishes and provides. We don't need luck. He nourishes and provides us with that which we need, not always that which we want. That's right. Notice again, God repeats his promises for his chosen seed. These things shall come to pass. They bear repeating even today as his promises will not lose strength. They will not be worn out. They continue to encourage a steadfastness amongst God's people that we must see to even in these final hours before his return. Think of Proverbs chapter 20 verse 6. It says most men will proclaim everyone his goodness, his own goodness. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find I'm fearful. Upon the Lord's return, that might be the very question. Where are the faithful men? Where are those who are to be on the wall? To be on watch? To call out certain things? To teach certain things? To stand for certain things? Where are the men of our homes? The men of our communities? who don't content themselves with just whining about the politicians, but actually take a hold of the reins and lead. 
Where have all the faithful men gone? There's not many of them in our churches, beloved. I've seen quite a few of them over the last seven years. There's not a lot of men in the Lord's churches anymore. Why is that? Why is that? We also have Jacob's new name brought back to the forefront of this text, and, and we probably should have anticipated that. This was a name that God had given them. Uh, it wasn't a light gift that was given. We don't see where Abram or Sarai ran from the new names that God had given them, but uh, I could be wrong, but if I, if I remember right, in the text, once the Lord gave them their new names, unless a reference back to before the new name, we only have the new names. But with Jacob, it's been all over the place. But if we pay attention to the text that we're going to cover tonight, there's a point in which it becomes Israel again. And there's references to him as Israel instead of Jacob. Remember when it was first delivered back in Genesis 32:28, we discussed this being a picture of the old and the new man. Israel, the new man that Jacob was to put on. And Jacob, the old man, the usurper, the usurper of God most times, the old man that he was supposed to put off. And God is essentially reminding Jacob here that he shall no longer go by his worldly reputation, but rather live by every word of God. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 through 6, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Luke 4, 4, And Jesus answered the devil, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every Word of God. So let's put a couple of these principles together then. El Shaddai conveys the idea of God as the one who nourishes and provides. And two places, I believe Mark 4.4 also says the same thing. It's the same parallel account to Luke 4.4. don't have it in front of me, but I believe that's what it is. It might be Matthew 4.4, but I think it's Mark. We have a couple of different places here that says that man is to live by every word of God. So El Shaddai who provides and nourishes provided what? His word. He provided the gospel. So how important is this to us? Because the El Shaddai in this text that provides and nourishes provided us this. And it is by this that we should live and breathe. Not by bread alone. Not by reputation. Surely not but by every word of God. Jacob was a usurper, even of the place of God. But Israel was a prevailing prince of God. Remember, that's what his name meant. And he should act like it. We have a new name too. We're not Gentiles any longer, you born-again believers. We are Christians. We are Christ-like. We must also act like it. How do we act Christians? How do we act like Christ? We got to know something about him. We got to know the attributes of God, do we not? Not the attributes that are unattainable, but the attributes portrayed in Christ Jesus, who was 100% God, yes, but also 100% man. And this man, this God, this Lord and Savior, this Messiah illustrated for us what we are to be like. I've said it before. I'll say it again. We ought not call ourselves Christ-like. We ought not call ourselves Christian unless we intend to act like it. That reputation of a hypocrite, it's firm. We show the world that a lot. When do we show them Christ? Instead of our wrath, instead of our jealousy, instead of our envy, instead of our whining, 
When do we show them Christ? Did Christ ever do any of those things? Oh, geez, I got to go to Calvary. I got to die. Come on, guys. Could you just lighten the sentence a little bit, live a couple of good days for me? No, Jesus didn't whine. Jesus boldly proclaimed the will of the Father and fulfilled it. And he says it is finished. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Paul writes, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And how should we walk? He says, with all lowliness and meekness, with patience or long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. It's kind of like he knew how hard we'd be to get along with at times. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, even as ye are all called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Note that once again Jacob set up a pillar in this spot, signifying that uh, it likely had fallen, uh, literally and metaphorically. I, I like those kind of things in Scripture. When we see a man return to a place where he once knew God and is now presented to uh, presented God, God is presenting rather to himself El Shaddai, a nourisher and provider. And it's kind of like you could almost picture God pointing out, not that he could visually see him, but this fallen um, pillar, this place where you once were. See how it's crumbled. See how the moss has grown over it? See how it's not been tended to? This is the place, Jacob, where we once fellowshiped. This is the place where we came together, where you saw Christ Jesus, the ladder, as the angels ascended and descended. But look at it now. If it's like a place in my yard, it's not only the pillar has fallen over, but the housekeeper's too lazy to move the rocks or to get the weed eater out, and the grass is this tall. No one has come nigh, including you, Israel, You've not come. You've not looked for me. You were content to hide in the house, to see to the house. We see some of that from the, the minor prophets too, do we not? You've sighted your house. You've sealed your house. But where is our fellowship? Where is our connection? There is a fallen pile of rubble. So here he sets up a pillar again. He then pours drink and oil offering, which signifies, of course, consecration. Do not be discouraged, beloved, if you find yourself once again trying to live a life of renewed consecration. This is what Jacob is having to do. It's likely those who know him best tend to have to do that because of our flesh, because of our laziness, because of our rebellion. We tend to have to pull those weeds once more set those pillars back up, and consecrate ourselves before God. And we'll talk about that again in a minute when we read this next portion of text. Look, if you will, though, at Genesis 35, verses 14 and 15, before we go forward. 
And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him Bethel. What we see in verse 14 and 15 is Jacob worshiping. Now, we haven't seen much of that. I won't say that we haven't seen any of it, but the last time it was really in front of our faces was when Abram, Abram, Abraham took Isaac up on top of the mountain. There on top Mount Moriah. Remember the preparation as he rose up early? He gathered the elements, he gathered the servants, and they marched a three days journey to that place in which God was going to tell them of. And they all faithfully marched, did they not? The servants waited faithfully at the bottom of the mount. Isaac dutifully and faithfully followed his father up to the top of the mount, only asking one question. Where is the sacrifice, Father? We see worship here. And we're about to see a few things that are lost before we conclude this chapter. There's two great sorrows that are coming. And this consecration, this time worshiping, is building Jacob up or Israel up for what's coming. Now, we know that he lost Deborah. Uh, but in this next portion of text in verses 16 through 20, we see uh, that wasn't the end of it. And this is typically how it works, that God would strengthen us before something he knows is coming and not necessarily something that's been revealed. Genesis 35, verses 16 through 20, And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath, which is uh, defined, if we look up the meaning of this word, as an ash heap or a place of fruitfulness. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, uh, again, this is definitely not Deborah, we don't have the name of this one, but she says unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, son of my sorrow. That's what that name means. But his father called him Benjamin, which means son of the right hand. And Rachel died and was buried in the way of Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave. That is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. And of course, that latter part is likely, uh, as we talked about Genesis being a, a series of writings, likely written by uh, this portion, the longest portion so far has been likely written by Jacob or assembled by Jacob. And these, every once in a while, we'll see a verse like this last one that's Moses' commentary as he's stringing it together. So when we see that they came unto a place, and the writing gives us three cities, um, in case you're imagining a welcome to such and such city sign, it doesn't say welcome to three different cities. But Moses is giving context of what those cities are at the time he's putting these books together. So here he's talking about it's that pillar still being Rachel's grave unto this day. It's not the day that it was her grave, it's still her grave. He's talking about the day in which this was put together, this was still her grave, the still the place that she was at. That's important because later there are some bodies that get relocated, such as Joseph's, but here we know that Rachel's has not moved. So let's bring everything together for a moment, and I love this because I love words, uh, word studies such as what Ephrath means. So think about this for a moment. Upon the intervention of the Lord, we see the situation that Dinah is defiled, the sons of Jacob mutilate and kill the men, mutilate through... Um, Boy, I can't think of the word. Circumcision. And then kill them. 
take hostage their wives and their kids. Jacob is beside himself. He's far outnumbered. He doesn't stand a chance, and he's in fear. But the Lord intervenes and tells him to remove them from that situation. Come to the place where you last saw me. And we find repentance, and we find consecration for Jacob, which was but a little way from a place of fruitfulness, Ephrath. That's what the city means. A place of fruitfulness. So this consecration and this repentance, if you're on the other side of that, if you've not yet repented of the sin that's in your heart, and you've not yet consecrated yourself for the work of the Lord, understand that you are but a little way, according to our text, likely just a little way away from a place of fruitfulness. But you will not get there without consecration and repentance. You will not get to a place of usefulness. You're not going to lose your salvation if you're already born again. But you will remain backslidden because God did not move. What a beautiful thing for us to see in this text. All these things that Jacob's gone through and we just happen upon a series of words that says that they were a little way to come to a place of fruitfulness. What joy is found there, Christians? That no matter how far you have strayed, if you are indeed born again, you are still just a little away from being used of God. And it is but a little way because he loves repentance. It is not this giant mountain we make it out to be. It should be taken seriously. But our God loves and receives true repentance. And he requires it. The first of two sorrows occurs here chronologically close to the strengthening that was already provided, he loses his beloved Rachel. Now Jacob at this point was likely to be in his early hundreds, and for Rachel it had been nearly 15 years since she had Joseph. Back in Genesis chapter 30, uh, just to revisit it, in verses 22 through 25, we read, And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her, and opened her womb. And she conceived and bare a son, and said, God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. And it came to pass, when Rachel had borne Joseph, that Jacob said unto Laban, Send me away, that I may go into mine own place, and to my country. The text that we have before us now is Jacob's twelfth and final son. And we can hear in her words way back in Genesis 30 that she had hope of another. Don't forget all that she went through and the Mandrake affair and all the things that occurred around that time to try to make sure she had a baby. What a blessing it must have been for Rachel to hear the words from the handmaid or from the midwife, Thou shalt have this son. And the midwife seemed to know that it was Rachel's desire to have another son with Jacob, given the phrase that precedes this one, Fear not. It says in our text, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. I'm obviously not a mother. Can't imagine what that part of that experience is like. But for this mama to be going through what she's going through, and I looked in the eyes of that mama to hear the words, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. That's all she's longing for. Whatever she's got to go through to get there, that's all she's longing for. And we saw it in Rachel's words earlier when she's crying out that she would have another child, when she's crying out that the Lord would provide Jacob a son through her, when she names her son Benoni, which sounds a lot like Baloney, so I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, that name means son of my sorrow. I don't believe it's because she felt her son brought on sorrow. 
it's more likely because she was in such sorrow waiting for this son, longing for this son, longing for the day in which this baby boy would come into the world. I wonder, too, as to what type of idol it was that she took from her father. Was it a, a fertility idol? Some idol in which they believed would uh, stimulate her body into having another child? Some idol in which she could pray to regularly? What a coincidence. All them idols had to be buried before this baby came. Fifteen years. If, that, if, that, if I'm right, if I'm right, this idol is a, some kind of fertility idol, which... It's pretty likely. I mean, when you look at Ishtar and Saturnalia, the pagan things we still do today, they're also tied to fertility. So let's say that I am right. For 15 years, she's hidden this thing from her father, from her husband. I imagine she hid it from her sister, probably hid it from her children, but doing everything she could to see another child brought into this world. Remember the mandrakes, we already know it was her heart to do whatever she could. She was willing to try anything to have another child with Jacob, even stating back then, give me children or else I die. Careful what you pray for. Because if for 15 years she prayed to an idol, a false god, for this baby, and the Lord gave her that baby at the burial of that idol, he also took her life. Be careful what your faithlessness brings your word, your mouth to say, what you utter into existence. It is exceedingly interesting to me that this baby didn't come until the idol was buried. Jacob's name for his son was Benjamin, son of thy right hand, which speaks of an honored position in the family. And later in this book, we can see um, the great love that Jacob had for Rachel's other son, Joseph. And one could imagine... Uh, how he cherished this offshoot of his lineage with his beloved Rachel. This is the one that he had worked for. Uh, and he worked two full payments to get her. These boys would have meant a lot to him, and, and we'll see that throughout the rest of the book of Genesis. But this is where we'll stop for tonight.